The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. When you're a Democrat like David is, uh, that's a character-building experience. Yep, I imagine. What's that car really just ahead of Alabama between Philadelphia? Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. We because we conducted a national job search and no one else would take the job. Today on Deadline DC, uh, we have a great show for you. Uh, I'm uh, a columnist for The Hill, a national democratic strategist and a political activist for W news radio stations WGN in Chicago and KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. If you have any ideas or thoughts about Deadline DC, things you'd like us to cover and talk about, or if you have any, uh, want any info about my uh, political polling firm, the best way to reach me is on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Brad Bannon. We have a really great show for you today. Our guests are today are in the first half hour, Charlie Cook, uh, the nation's uh, preeminent political prognosticator. The show's brought to you by the letter P, for, by, for example. Uh, then in the second half hour, we have the provocative progressive political panel. There are those P's again. Uh, Tara J Devlin, uh, the host of Tara Buster, joins us along with our own executive producer and political activist, uh, Mark Gormaldi. But before we start the show, we have this clip uh, that's uh, designed to illustrate the nature of political polarization in America. The clip is from Representative Madison Cawthorn from a Republican from North Carolina. It is time for us to stand up and say no to your tyranny. Now is a time for our pastors and our congregations like this one here, like many of you that you represent. It's time for us to stand up and declare boldly that as men and women of faith, we have a duty to stand against tyranny. We have a duty to be civically involved. We have a duty to save this country for the next generation. Look back into the Old Testament. Look at David. Look at Daniel. Look at Esther. Look at all these people who influenced the governments of their day to uphold Christian principles. It is time for the American Christian Church to come out of the shadows, to say no longer are we going to allow our culture to be determined by people who hate the things that we believe in. We are going to stand valiantly for God's, God's incredible, inerrant truths that predate any version of government. Because my friends, if we lose this country today, if we bend the knee to the Democrats today, our country will be lost forever and our children will never know what freedom is. It's our duty to stand up. Let us stand united as men and women of faith to fight for our country. Uh, that, of course, is uh, Republican Representative Madison Cawthorn, uh, who comes pretty close to me, at least to my hearing, calling for a religious war. Uh, our guest in this half hour to talk about political polarization and other issues uh, is Charlie Cook. Uh, 
Charlie is the founder of the Cook Political Report, and he's a shrewd observer of the American uh, political scene. You may have seen him on NBC, Meet the Press, um, or have read his column, weekly column in the National Journal. Charlie, uh, thanks for joining us today. And I also had the good judgment to ask you to be my best man about uh, 39 years ago. Yeah, I remember that. That was uh, that was uh, quite a weekend. I'll never forget it. And I doubt uh, you and Lucy will either. Nor will any of Memphis. So. Yeah, nor will any of Memphis. No, that was a lot of fun. I think about that a lot. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, let's try this. Uh, let's start. Uh, Charlie, we have an incredibly volatile, polarized political climate. Uh, it's a lot different uh, from the way things were when you and I first got in this business a long time ago. In the old days, political parties cooperated. There was at least a semblance of good feelings. Uh, there was conflict, of course, but there was a semblance of uh, cooperation. What happened to American politics? What can we? What can anybody do anything to fix it? Brad, I think that some a lot of it comes from sort of uh, ideological sorting. You know that we used to have. If this is the Democratic Party and this is the Republican Party, a substantial overlap between the two, and that the conservative Democrats, liberal Republicans, were the ballast that kept the the parties from going off into a ditch on the left and right. Now it's completely separated, completely uh, so that instead of a center left party, you have a left party. Instead of a center right party, you have a right party. And that um, so that there, there's sort of no common, very, very, very little that they could possibly uh, agree on. I mean, you know, a lot of people think, well, Nixon was conservative. My God, he went for uh, his first year in office, a guaranteed annual income, but basically a guaranteed uh, uh, income for poor families and OSHA and EPA. You had all these things happen that, uh, or, and you had conservative Democrats that were the people that fought civil rights. I mean, you had a lot of overlap that kept the parties from going off into different directions. So uh, it's, it's, the system's changed. And so now, uh, no matter how bad a candidate of your party is, you're going to vote for him no matter what, no matter how awesome the candidate from the other party might be. You're not going to vote for him no matter what. It's just parliamentary. Uh, do you think, uh, I think in one of your columns for the National Journal, I remember reading that uh, uh, we have basically a parliamentary, you know, European kind of parliamentary government. Uh, do you think that's where we're headed or do you think the cycle will turn back and we'll go back to an era of uh, bipartisanship? Well, I kind of got rid of my crystal ball back in 2016. Um, but um, I think we're going to a semi-parliamentary. I mean, I, what's, what's different, I think, is that we're heading towards parliamentary, but at the same time, the system has two parties kind of baked in because of the Electoral College and the requirement of, of getting uh, uh, a majority of the, in the House if, if nobody gets uh, uh, 270 electoral votes so that a third party really can't win, a third or fourth or fifth, you know, like as you normally see in parliamentary co countries. So it's basically red, red, blue. And uh, um, so that the changes you see from one election to the next with the party so evenly divided 
It just doesn't take much uh, in terms of one party being more motivated to turn out than the other, or those that little slice of 10% that are true independents disproportionately breaking one way uh, or the other. So small numbers of votes and shares, uh, fractions of percentage points can have huge policy differences nowadays that you didn't see 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me ask you another question before we go to break. Uh, you look at the national polls. Uh, one thing you see is that a large majority of Americans think the country's headed in the wrong direction. It may be, you know, like close to 60 percent who think the country's headed in the wrong direction. Uh, why do Americans feel that way? You know, the, I, I used to really watch that question a lot. Now I don't so much anymore because I can only think of one time in our, my adult life that more people thought right direction than wrong track. And that was immediately after 9-11. And so we're sort of baked into wrong track. It's just a question of how, how much of a, uh, of a gap is there between wrong track and right direction. Um, but, you know, it's a kind of question that no matter where you're coming from, if you don't like exactly what's going on, you say wrong track, even though, you know, people saying wrong track may have completely different views of what we should be doing. It's easy to say wrong track. But um so i don't i don't watch it as much as i used to okay okay uh let's try uh, joe biden's uh, job rating is underwater uh depending upon and you know i mean and how much underwater depends on which national poll you look at uh why what happened to joe biden's job rating well he had been holding up okay uh you know, gradually declining. You know, presidents don't get honeymoons anymore. You know, it's get, they get sort of a long weekend at best. <laughs> uh, but uh, starting the 1st of August, you started seeing a real, real serious decline there. And roughly it was sort of, it was the Mexican border issue had been holding him down. The coronavirus had been an asset. Now, even though I don't think he's done anything wrong, but it's, 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 you know, Charlie, I'm going to interrupt you. We have to go to a commercial break. We'll be back uh, right now after this commercial break with our guest, Charlie Cook, founder of the Cook Political Report and uh, columnist for National Journal. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. And our guest in this half hour is uh, Charlie Cook, the founder of the Cook Political Report. By the way, uh, welcome back to our radio listeners. If to our radio listeners, uh, if you'd like to watch Deadline DC as well as listen to it, uh, you can uh, catch us on Periscope TV. And that uh, that handle is periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, you can find us on tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook Live. 
And you can also find us at tinyurl.com front slash Brad on YouTube. So if you want to watch as well as listen, uh, that's how you can do it. Uh, Charlie, uh, in Nova, we have the midterm elections uh, next year, uh, a little over a year, 13 months, I guess. Uh, But before that, we have uh, a big governor's race in Virginia. Uh, and the candidates are uh, the former Democratic governor, Terry McAuliffe, uh, and a wealthy uh, Republican businessman named uh, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, The Cook Political Report created quite a stir in the political world uh, the week before last, I guess it was, when it said that the race was uh, basically a a toss-up between McAuliffe and Youngkin. It came as a shock to people who, um, you know, some people, especially Democrats, I guess, who thought McAuliffe was a sure thing. Uh, What's going on in Virginia? Well, we, we, there were, there were polls, including Democratic polls, in late August that were sh- that was showing this race down into low to mid single digits. This race had gotten a lot closer than people thought a, a good while ago. And it was just took a while for a lot of the public polls to kind of catch up. A Democrat should be winning in Virginia by, you know, four points, four or five points, given the direction of the state. And that uh, McAuliffe hasn't done anything wrong, said anything stupid. He's got a good campaign. Both sides have decent campaigns, have good campaigns. Um, this is basically, it's it's about mobilization. And the fact is, and this is what I'll scare Democrats, is that, you know, think of it this way. Which side's voters are going to be more motivated? The side that just got what they wanted in the last election or a side that had it taken away from them, that lost it? The law, the side that's, you know, revenge and anger are much more uh, stronger, stronger uh, emotions than uh, gratitude, satisfaction, thinking that everything's going going fine. Um, And that, you know, that's one of the key reasons why midterm elections turn out to be so bad for parties that are in power when you've got the presidency, the House, the Senate. So I would watch if if if. If McAuliffe wins by four or five points, then that would be something really good for Democrats. If he wins by just a point or two, that would be worrisome uh, for Democrats. If he loses, that ought to scare the hell out of them, that it could be a sign of something down the road for them next year. Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I am, uh, Democrats have won every statewide election in Virginia since 2013. Uh, So it would be a shock if uh, McAuliffe uh, loses. Uh, Well, let's uh, use that. Uh, Democrats are in a very precarious uh, position uh, facing the midterm elections uh, next year. Uh, The president's party uh, usually loses seats. And obviously, uh, the Democrats have little margin for error. Uh, they have, they're in a flat-footed tie in the Senate, uh, and control the body thanks to the tie-breaking vote of Vice President Harris. Uh, they have a very wafer-thin majority in the House of Representatives. Uh, so, uh, Democrats have a tough haul, uh, in next November, don't they? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even begin to venture a guess what's going to happen in the Senate. 
just because there's a, just a small number of races, only seven competitive states, really, four held by Democrats, three held by Republicans. And, you know, there's just a lot we don't know. In the House, though, where Republicans basically need a five-seat net gain, but that five-seat advantage basically is eroded by reapportionment on one side and redistricting on the on the other. Um, if you're looking for any good news for a Democrat, it would be that because they lost 11 seats in the last election in the House, you know, one of the there, there are very few things you can count on in life. Death, taxes on an airline or the A seat's always going to be a window and you can't lose a seat you don't have. You can't lose a seat you've already lost. So there are 11 fewer Democrats in the House in competitive districts than there were before the last election. So the average losses of 20 something, you know, depending on which, 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 what time period and who you're including, excluding, um, that, that's probably uh, uh, way high, to be honest. But um, the chances of Democrats losing the House, uh, it's a real big number that probably starts with at least a six, if not a seven. Okay. Uh, let's talk about what is in on the Senate side. Uh, what is the most uh, vulnerable uh, Republican seat in the Senate side? Well, I'd say let me do it differently. I would say the two closest to the bubble would be the open seat in Pennsylvania, where Pat Toomey is retiring. I'd say the second most would be um, uh, would be Richard Burr's open seat in North Carolina, and. In terms of incumbent, well, and I would put Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, and we don't know whether he's going to run or, or not. But those would be the three Republican seats where Democrats have, you know, the best chance of, uh, chance of picking off. Um, but Democrats need to be really worried about, for example, New Hampshire. Uh, um, um, Maggie Hassan. Who looks like uh, uh, he's probably going to take on Maggie Hassan. Okay. What other uh, Democrats are vulnerable? Well, we're we're kind of in Nevada. Catherine Cortez Masto uh, is probably. I mean, Nevada is just basically it's a it's an even it's a pretty even state, and so any relatively you know relatively new person you know that's going to be. I would say that's the one one that I would be really 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 concerned about if I were I were Democrats that so I would say Nevada New Hampshire um, really more than more than the others okay okay so uh, the Republicans have a few uh, dangerous uh, Senate seats to hold and the Democrats have a couple uh, what about uh, what about uh, Georgia uh, uh, that's an interesting race yeah, I've left out the uh, um, yeah, I should have should have left out that you know, you've got because you've got two people that got elected to the Senate just um, in and um, they got elected to the Senate just last year that are you know obviously coming back around and uh, you know Raphael Warnock for example um, would be one and Mark Kelly is the other so uh, you know I'm thinking uh, these these guys that just came in in January. Uh, uh, I'm not ready for them to come back. Okay. Charlie, unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Our guest in this half hour was Charlie Cook, the preeminent political prognosticator. I got to practice saying those P words. Uh, anyway, Charlie, thank you very much. 
Charlie Cook joined us. In the second half hour, we'll have more P's, a provocative progressive political panel. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in a minute. Ready? Welcome back. Sanders talk about the urgent need for the big and bold infrastructure program. The president has said is that there's going to have to be some give and take. And I think that that's right. I think if anything, Jonathan, when we especially talk about the crisis of climate change and the need to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel, the six trillion dollars that I originally proposed was probably too little. Three and a half trillion should be a minimum. But I accept that there's going to have to be give and take. Okay, that, of course, was Senator Bernie Sanders uh, talking about the need to deal with climate change and other problems facing our great nation. Uh, This half hour is brought to you by Bannon Communications Research, my polling firm, which works for progressive issue groups, labor unions, uh, and Democrats. Joe Biden's economic efforts are paying off, and he deserves credit for resuscitating the failed Trump economy. Through August, the new administration has created about 4 million new jobs uh, after the economy left a lost about 10 million jobs under Donald Trump. Cash-strapped working families needed a big boost, and the child care credit Uh, in the American Rescue Act has become law and provided millions of dollars to hardworking parents and their vulnerable children. But so much more needs to be done. Passage of the big and bold Build Back Better bill would continue and even expand the recovery that's already started under Joe Biden. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today are Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and a frequent contributor to uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, she's the host of her own show, Terror Buster. Uh, and to prove it, I have this uh, <laughs> official Terror Buster yes. cup. We both have clink, clink. Uh, And also joining us on the panel is our own executive producer and uh, progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the big issues uh, facing the United States in the political news of the week. Uh, Let's start with uh, Build Back Better, which we had Senator Bernie Sanders comment on. I think that, uh, you know, right now, uh, Joe Biden is taking a beating uh, in the press. Uh, The uh, Congress is uh, fighting over uh, the Build Back Better program. Uh, There, you know, there are obviously two pieces of infrastructure legislation, uh, one a package for about one point two trillion dollars. Uh, which is basically for hardcore infrastructure, roads, bridges, uh, building stuff. 
Uh, and then there's a larger package kicking around in Congress at about five, three and a half trillion dollars, uh, which contains money to fight climate change, to expand Medicare uh, and to do a lot of, uh, you know, you know, just as an example, the other other couple of things which I think are very important in Build Back Better. Um, there is uh, money for to expand daycare. Uh, there is money uh, to uh, create uh, free two-year college tuition, uh, universal uh, 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 pre-K through 12. So there's a lot in there. Uh, let's start with you, Tara. What do you think we're going to end up uh, when this is all said and done? What do you think we're going to end up, what will end up passing Congress? Well, I think that obviously Joe Biden understands that this has to pass no matter what, and it will pass. That's why I I get agita watching all the corporate media coverage of it because it it just gives me it stresses me out because. Yeah, it does me too. Yeah, it's uh, because Biden, he's it, it will pass. It's but I agree uh, at what Bernie said, of course, um, they should have started at a higher number and they already negotiated down to 3.5 trillion, right? So this is already yep. a compromise, but the most important thing is to get these programs started, get them in there and then we'll, we'll fund it if, if need, you know, down the road as they as they are working and the people see the benefit in their lives. The Republicans, they they do not want to pass this on so many levels, not only just not giving Joe Biden a win, but it's also they don't want the American people to think that government has any obligation to them at all, to to the people. As far as the Republicans are concerned, government exists to funnel money from the working class to the rich. And that's all they've done. That's all they've done with the economy. That's what they leave us with constantly whenever they uh, pass the baton, reluctantly or not. And they, you know, everything they touch, it's, you know, it's about concentrating wealth. So this is going well, to Well, hold that thought, Tara, mm-hmm, because we're mm-hmm. going to break now. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, with Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and our own executive producer and political activist, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back right after this brief message. Uh, Brad, I'm so sorry to do this on here, but we still have four minutes, so I don't know. Yeah, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. 345, so I don't know if maybe you got okay. the time <laughs> okay. mixed up, but that's uh, okay. That's why Mark, I was, you, what do you, you think is going to happen build back better? Well, I think Tara's right that something will pass, but, uh, you know, I'm very frustrated as are, you know, most Democrats, frankly, regardless of, you know, whether you consider yourself, you know, more to the left or the middle or the right of the Democratic Party, there's broad consensus around the uh, issues that are in this human infrastructure bill that you've been talking about. And there's broad consensus in, in the Congress and in the Senate. Uh, amongst Democrats, where you have 48 senators, and it's coming down, of course, as you know, most people know now, to two senators who are not only refusing 
to vote for this, but have been refusing to even list what their compromise is. And of course, mm-hmm. that's Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. Um, Manchin has been kind of in this position, you know, for a while now within the Democratic Party, but it's a newer phenomenon with Kirsten Cinema. And, you know, in West Virginia, you could argue that, you know, the politics of it for Manchin, you know, it's a state that overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump. So, you know, not that I agree with this, but you could argue that, you know, he's a centrist because of his constituents want him to be. But in Arizona, that's not the case whatsoever. And you've seen that over the last few days as the constituents of Senator Cinema have followed her around asking her, you know, why she won't vote for these this bill that has all these provisions in it that her constituents uh, approve by a large majority. And the other thing that's more troubling is you see both Manchin and Cinema going to these high-dollar fundraisers by these large corporations and large donors that are in direct opposition to this bill or any bill like it passing. So it doesn't take much imagination to jump from, okay, they're going to these fundraisers to these people who are filling their campaign coffers who don't want the bill to pass, and now they're playing hard bill with hardball with the bill passing and won't seem to give any sort of number that they are willing to spend. Uh, the last thing I'll say that's extremely frustrating to watch is you hear, you know, them bring up the deficit. Well, let's talk about the deficit. Okay, first of all, and you hear Republicans with especially, you know, rank hypocrisy, when they passed the Trump tax cuts, tax scam really, because of the way it was written and the way it was passed, but that's either here or there. It was $2.1 trillion, boom, one time $2 trillion. Whereas this bill that that's being talked about, the reconciliation bill, is over 10 years. So when you're talking about $3.5 trillion over 10 years or $2 trillion right, right then and there, you know, one time, I think it's a very big difference. And I think even if the number is then probably negotiated down even further, you're then dividing that by 10 years. So I think, you know, when you really look at the provisions that are popular, not just amongst Democrats, but amongst American people, um, and then you look at the way that the, the bill is being funded, I think it's a lot different than the way it's been covered, unfortunately, which is not a shock to, to a yep. lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now Uh, we can go to break, Brad. (laughs) Now we can go to break. Okay. Now we can go to break. Uh, This is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, We're going to break, uh, but we'll come right back out uh, after this brief message. Hold on one one sec, Brad. We're almost there. Welcome back to Deadline DC. Brad Bannon, our guest on the provocative progressive political panel, are Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, uh, which I encourage you to listen to. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, and by the way, if you want to reach Tara on uh, Twitter, her Twitter handle is uh, Real Tara Deverlin. Uh, also joining oh. us up in the cup to prove it. <laughs> I have mine. She is. Uh, also on the panel is uh, Mark Grimaldi, our, my executive producer and also a progressive political activist. Okay, Mark, let's try this. Uh, the Supreme Court begins its new term today. Uh, we have now a Republican conservative majority on the court, uh, six to three, uh, with three lone def- uh, de- progressives to defend our positions. Uh, how bad is this term going to be, do you think, Mark? Well, it's. I think based on the fact that the Supreme Court did not intervene in uh, clearly, you know, in the Texas abortion law, um, which was clearly against Roe v. Wade, which they've set as precedent, it's a dangerous sign of what's to come, in my opinion, um, especially for reproductive rights. Um, and I think that, you know, you have other things on the docket that are related to religion, related to guns. And let's face it, it it's already a very dangerous country because there's more guns than people in it. And if you're going to loosen the the hard fought regulations that the very few regulations, but the hard fought regulations that there are on guns um, around this country, it's only going to get more dangerous. I mean, that's already been proven. So I think there's a lot at stake. And let's not forget the fact that Justice Breyer is, you know, I think being a complete fool about whether or not he's going to retire um, while there's still a Democratic president and a Democratic mm-hmm. majority in the Senate. And you saw, you know, what happened previously with the untimely death of Justice Ginsburg and how that moved the court from, you know, five to four with, you know, going from it was Justice Kennedy was the swing vote, then Justice Roberts actually kind of turned into the swing vote. But that's out the window right now because it's six to three. And now you're going to tell me, that you want to potentially let it become seven to two. Mm. And, Mm. you know, and let's, let's not forget the fact that it should have been uh, justice Merrick Garland. If Mitch McConnell Mm -hmm. didn't block that. So really when you compound all those factors um, it's looking pretty bleak, which is something that those of us who have followed the Supreme court um, have seen coming for a while. I mean, you saw Brad and Tara, um, how terrible the Citizens United decision from 2010 yep. has affected our entire political system for the past yep. decade. I mean, we were just talking about how Senators Cinema and Manchin are going to these um, fundraisers and then the money that they're receiving, it looks like it's directly influencing them voting against the interests of their constituents. And that wouldn't be so prominent if it wasn't for a Supreme Court decision. So, you know, it all goes hand in hand. And I think most Americans, you know, when you look at polling on the issues that are going to be in front of the court, which include uh, guns, uh, reproductive rights and um, religion and particularly the separation of church and state. It's pretty damn scary. That's what it is. But those are all Uh, issues that the majority of Americans are against where the Republicans are right now. Yet the Supreme Court doesn't doesn't care about that and doesn't seem like they're going they to rule that way. Exactly. Okay, and Tara, let me, let me ask yeah, you a question. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, 
this uh, on Saturday, uh, there were reproductive rights marches across the country in Washington and many large cities across the country. Uh, one of the first cases that the court is going to hear, the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments um, on is a Mississippi, new uh, Mississippi abortion law that essentially bans abortion after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, now, if the, and, you know, as I said before, uh, there is a six to three conservative uh, majority uh, in the uh, on the Supreme Court. Now, uh, I believe the court will hear arguments on the new Mississippi law uh, on November 2nd. Uh, and also we have the Texas law, which virtually bans all abortions for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes. Now, uh, Mark brought up the fact that the Supreme Court, by a five to four margin, allowed the Texas law to uh, stay live while uh, it, the case is being considered. Uh, the three liberal justices and Justice Roberts voted to stay the Texas law. Uh, but five justices voted to let it go ahead. Now, if those five, I doubt very much whether Roberts would do something as drastic as uh, essentially, you know, throw Roe versus Wade away. But I think there are five justices, uh, a majority who might want to. Uh, yes. What do you think is going to happen um, in, on, in the court on abortion terror? They're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is what they've been saying for years. When people show you who they are, believe them. Uh, that's who Amy Coney Barrett is. That's who Brett Kavanaugh is. They're not in there. They, they didn't um, get to be Supreme Court justices if they had any honor to begin with, because they would have bowed out of being part of Mitch McConnell's plot to overthrow, to illegally, through dirty tricks, over, uh, you, you know, basically pack the courts, not just basically, that's what they did. They followed the the playbook of autocrats throughout history and they corrupted the judiciary. So Trump, um, the and the, he we all know he received fewer votes. This Supreme Court, this is what drives me insane about the Republic, I mean, about the Democrats, is that they do not, I don't know why they need to listen to Tara Buster first yes. of all, so they can get some talking Everybody points. They do. Exactly. Exactly. Because they, they need to message that the Supreme court is, it has been, uh, compromised and it has. So it's like the Republicans, they go, they, we, we fight, we march, we get people elected to Congress and we change the course of history for the better of the general welfare, for the for the people, right? And then the Republicans get in power, and regardless of what the people want, they overthrow, they overturn, they write laws, they suppress uh, the, what the people want. The majority of the American people, we all know this. This is not a center-right nation. It is a, it's a progressive nation, that's for sure. So, um, the majority of the American people want, want don't want their big, filthy Republican noses in their doctor's office. We've we've settled this for 50 years, but they're not they don't they don't play by the rules. So they are. Oh, so the rules aren't in their favor anymore because we're a multiracial 
supposed not really functioning democracy at this point. But they're, they're, that's why they, they got to get rid of democracy. It's in the way. You know, it was working for a while because they had those stop gaps, like the Jim Crow laws and whatnot. But the more that we become a more perfect union, that's when they freak out and they can't handle it. That's right. And that's why they're going after. It doesn't matter what the people want. They're going to go after the reproductive rights. It's really privacy. Privacy. Do you have the right to decide with your with your partner, with your doctor, with whoever the hell, with yourself, you know, because you're a, you're a grown friggin' ass woman, with an autonomous person, you know, who can make a goddamn decision without a Republican, you know, sticking his nose in your business. But um, yeah, they will overturn Roe v. Wade. The Democrats. Well, let me ask Mark a question. Mm-hmm. Then. We're out of time, Mark. Brad. Sorry. I know. Oh, we're oh, out Jesus of time. Christ. Oh my okay. God. Okay. Well, uh, thanks to my guest today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, Charlie Cook, uh, the editor, the, the public, the founder of Cook Political Report, Kara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and our own Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back every month. We'll be back Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time or the podcast anytime at Bannon. Uh, periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Thanks for joining us and uh, we hope to see you again uh, very soon.